0: Hi, you're listening to Group. This is the show for the people who are trying to get their shit together.
1: I want to gradually lower my dosage of antidepressants.
0: The show for people trying to help someone else get it together.
2: I thought we weren't going to treat her differently just because her frontal lobe went on the fritz.
0: And the show for people who are doing what they need to do to get through the day.
3: I need to flip the light switch on and off 17 times
0: before I leave a room or my family will die. For those of you who can't turn off your brains, we're here to let you know you're not alone. The only way you know how to handle things is by worrying your way through them. For those of you who are feeling overwhelmed, we'd like to remind you to breathe. Happy. 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 ha
1: ha ha ha.
0: Our goal is to tell your stories, to make you laugh, and to give you an audio hug through your earbuds. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas! (laughs) I'm an anxious person, and I'm here with co-host Ian Chan.
4: A less anxious person, but that really doesn't say much. Like, that could put me anywhere on the anxiety spectrum.
0: How are you doing today, Ian? I'm pretty good. I am doing pretty well today because the sunshine is out, which is making me very happy. So, winter is, like, a challenging time for a lot of people who have mental health situations going on right, right? you know you have sad and people who just don't like their like disorder. their
4: feet being wet and stuff
0: yes you know it's cold outside like for me i don't like really want to go places in the winter because, it's
4: harder to go out. yeah
0: i i feel like i exercise less in the winter i know exercise is like very good for the anxiety depression stuff that's going on in my head do
4: we, do we count watching netflix as exercise because i still exercise about as much in the winter then I'm pretty sure we're counting that as exercise I guess it
0: depends on are you like, are you sitting on the chair or are you like walking around and puttering while you're watching Netflix? that's a a good question. Because actually then maybe that counts a little bit. That's a good question. Because there's some movement going on.
4: Okay, maybe I should just, I should do the old walk and putter a little bit more.
0: Or you can get like a mini trampoline in and you could like bounce on that while you watch Netflix.
4: Hard pass. Thank you though.
0: (laughs) So winter... Harder for me to get outside, I would say. Right, you short, like, yeah.
4: shorted your vitamin D.
0: Yes, it's crappier. But um, a lot of people actually have problems in the spring and summer.
4: Part of me wonders if, if, that's, if some of that is, especially with the spring, is sort of people like... I made it through the winter exactly, yeah. and everything still fucking sucks.
0: Exactly. Just want us to let people know if you were hoping that you're going to feel better in the spring you're and you're still not, you're not alone. Lots of folks are feeling like that, but there are, there are the things that we all talk about doing in order to feel better, you know, exercise, getting sleep, going to therapy, right. meditating, all, all whatever. All these things I'm,
4: I'm exactly <laughs> yeah. not doing right now. Yeah. So
0: all the things that, you know, you're supposed to do to, um... To feel better. So like, so you're not doing any of those things right
4: now? Not doing, I've been, I was, I was trying for a while to sort of do more stretching and breathing exercises and, and some sort of self-care stuff like that. I have, I've not been keeping up on the me work recently. Look, tail as old as time. I've got a lot of stuff going on. And so managing my everyday health and doing those check-ins kind of falls to the wayside.
0: Although you have a cat. I do have a cat. Yeah, so like, does that count? Are we counting that
4: as mental health?
0: (laughs) Chilling with some dope animals can actually be a good thing for your brain. For your yeah, I'll take that. And I'm
4: doing one thing. I'm doing a thing.
0: (laughs) So yeah, I mean, when I'm feeling down, if a friend sends me a a cute puppy video, I'm gonna feel a little bit better. Right.
4: Which, Um, which arguably, that's if that counts as therapy, it's arguably the world's leading like therapy provider at this point.
0: So coming up on today's show, we're going to be talking about the psychological benefits of hanging out with furry friends in general, and emotional support animals in particular. Uh, Some of
4: which are not furry, we should, should be clear.
0: We'll hear about what to do when your emotional support animal is not being very emotionally supportive.
1: Tilly does not like when I cry she runs away and hides, like she, she's terrified of crying. We'll
0: speak with an expert on animal-human relationships about some unique forms of animal-assisted therapy.
2: There, there's excellent evidence that uh, there's, there's short-term effects with interacting with a dog, or maybe even swimming with dolphins. However, the question is, what about six months later you want to, to know if in the long run they're gonna get better?
0: And we have some other exciting surprises in store.
3: And I put $159 on my credit card And then a few days later, they emailed me a PDF from a therapist I had never met before saying that I have prescribed him one goat for emotional support. The most unusual prescription I've ever gotten in my life.
0: This episode was inspired by my longing for an animal. Um, Any particular animal? Yes. Well, I would really like to get a dog. I know that when I'm around dogs, animals in general, but like dogs specifically, like I feel like I've gotten like a B12 shot or something. Like I I automatically feel better when I'm around dogs. I I think they are good for my soul, but not necessarily good for my apartment um,
4: because... (laughs) You're not in like a big apartment, right? No,
0: I'm in a small one bedroom on uh,
4: the sixth floor of a walk-up building. Are you like a big dog person or a small dog person?
0: I, I don't know. All dogs... Ideally I would get like a medium sized creature, not something too small because I would I don't want to like accidentally like sit on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh which I feel like Reasonable. especially like in the morning that is something that I might do because it takes me a little while to wake up. Um if I haven't had coffee, I might sit on the small dog. Um <laughs> and then big dogs like not a very big space. So uh yeah, I've been thinking about getting a dog for a while. I was thinking it might be good, especially like in the winter when I'm having you know more issues with depression. Your cat Bowie, your calico cat, who I just recently met, is she? Do you think she is good for your mental health?
4: She she really is. She's uh, we we lucked out. She's uh, especially as far as cats go, like Barry Bowie is very affectionate she's she's very like cuddly she likes spending time with people and she also like if my fiance or, not, or i are homesick or like feeling poorly she she picks up on that and she will like come and like hang out and and like give some cuddles if you're feeling badly and that sort of stuff
0: that's awesome no
4: no she the other side of that is she's also very needy if you have like your a book in your hand or uh my fiance just pointed out just today and I realized she was totally right. Bowie is very jealous of electronics. What? If if you're like on your iPad or on your computer or like playing a video game, Bowie won't even want to hang out with you until she realizes that you can't because you have this electronic <laughs> thing in your hand, and then she is all over you.
0: So I'm also worried that like if I get a dog that it won't be like Bowie, you know, that it won't actually want to hang out with me or provide emotional support. You don't want to get a
4: garbage dog. (laughs) What? You don't want to get a garbage
0: dog. No, I don't want to get a garbage dog. Although I, I, I genuinely do not think that any dogs are garbage dogs, but so I started looking into like how animals can actually provide emotional support, like the science behind it, in in a way to sort of selfishly explore like whether or not this would be a good thing for me. So we should explain some of the terminology that we're gonna be talking about in this episode. The first term is um, a service animal or an assistance animal. People are probably most familiar with this category. There can only be two types of service animals. Dogs or, in some cases, miniature horses.
4: Which is a a very weird, like, these are the only two kinds of this thing you can have.
0: So service animals are trained to perform tasks to help people with disabilities. So, for example, a seeing eye dog helping somebody who is visually impaired. But it could also be a psychiatric service animal. So, you know, again, a dog or a, a miniature horse that is trained to do specific tasks in order to help someone with some sort of debilitating psychiatric condition they they can retrieve things for their human you know signal for their owners to take pills Another thing that I thought was really interesting is they can sort of provide like environmental assessment for you. So if you're having hallucinations or something like that, then, and the, you know, your animal, your service animal isn't reacting, then that's like a really great way to sort of tell whether or not what you're seeing
4: is real. Okay. I got to step back for a second because in my head I can, I can picture a dog doing all of these Uh things because I think we've, you know, we've, we've got sort of. You know the guide dogs in our yeah. head. Most of us see have seen you know either a service dog or like a service dog who's being trained. I think there's a very a very common thing. I have a frame of reference for this. The mini picturing a miniature horse doing any of these things i know
0: it's in most cases it's going to be a dog right
4: Um, are we sure these aren't just large dogs in horse costumes (laughs) maybe
0: potentially although i would really love to see you know like a miniature horse on the subway you know someone taking their their service animal into you know what you say
4: that Uh you say that now and and like i'm right there with you i think it'd be Mm -hmm. like so novel if i actually saw it All they would be is infuriated. No way. I would just be so happy. Oh my God. It'd be like if someone brought their bike on the subway, but also their bike is huge and furry and might shit. This is something that like sounds really cute in Uh principle until the second it happens to you, at which point it's the worst thing in the history of time.
0: I don't know. I think whenever I see any animal like in public or in a place where you're not expecting them, I like it immediately like makes my day better. Agree to disagree. Um, Fair ser- service animals, though, can go wherever their human goes. You can take your service animal to a restaurant, you can take it to work. Service animals are different from therapy animals. So, therapy animals are the animals that you might see in, like, a hospital or a retirement home. Usually, therapy animals are someone's very well behaved pet that is, like, you know, cool with humans, likes being around humans and the human and the pet volunteer their time to help out in these different places. So unlike service animals, therapy animals don't necessarily need any specific training. Uh, Most therapy animals are dogs, but there are other types of animals too that can be therapy animals, and therapy animals have no special rights. So you cannot take a therapy animal into a store or on a plane um, the only place that you can take it is, you know, if you are volunteering somewhere with
4: and therapy animals, you'll also see in in therapist's office. Uh, oftentimes they are they're a therapist's pet. This is usually usually Becca's show and I'm, I'm just here to make dick jokes and stuff. Um, but I actually did some work on this one for a change. And I got to speak with Dr. Aubrey Fine, who is a uh, child therapist and child psychiatrist in his work. He very often brings in animals as part of animal-assisted therapy, and uh, Aubrey has had a lot of pet dogs, um, many of whom have worked with him, and many of them have just been pets, but I wanted to play a little tape here of uh, of one of Aubrey's first pet dogs that, that served as a therapy animal.
5: Years and years ago, when I had a child that was selectively mute, came to see me, she was kindergarten age youngster she wasn't talking in a place called schools point that it was implicating her her work i remember i was just going to meet with the parents but she came in those days i had an old golden retriever her name was puppy but i remember puppy walked over to her and interacted and the girl smiled after some moments i was going to talk to the parents and um i signed for puppy because some of my dogs knew sign language she looked at my hands I told her to come back, and then I saw in the girl's eyes perhaps that she wanted the dog to come back. And I looked at her and said, all you have to do is say, puppy, come. And and now parents are looking at me going, our daughter doesn't speak in public. This is not going to happen. But for that one day, it was that golden retriever that got that little girl to utter, puppy, come. Puppy, please come. Then we changed what we were going to do that day, and, and I had the parents sit in a different room, and I sat on the floor with her and puppy, and we began to talk over the course of time with the support of puppy in a variety of ways including having puppy visit with her with her teacher to get her to talk with her teacher for the first time we worked diligently to make a difference some people say could i have got her to talk with other therapy animal absolutely i think i could have done it but it definitely was impacted by the warmth and the unconditional acceptance that the dog provided being seen and, and, and being around a therapy animal that's really warm-hearted and gentle, that many, many times helps me go under what I call the radar of a child's defense mechanisms to begin to open up more comfortably.
4: Yeah, and so that was Puppy.
0: Puppy's such a good dog.
4: <laughs> puppy was a very good dog, it appears. Very
0: good therapy animal. The last category that I want to touch on is emotional support animal or a comfort animal. And this is probably the most controversial of those three categories, service animal, therapy animal, and emotional support animal. What an emotional support animal does is it provides therapeutic support to a person with a mental illness. In order to get an emotional support animal, you have to be prescribed that animal by a licensed medical healthcare professional you know there are rules about what the prescription has to be it has to be on the doctor's letterhead um it has to state that the individual has a psychological disorder that severely affects their life and the presence of the animal is necessary for their mental health
4: so this is this is like the, the same like like you would get a a psychiatric prescription or something
0: although like there're all these rules about like what has to be included in this in this letter like it can literally be any type of animal you could have an emotional support Tarantula, going back to, to episode one. That's
4: the worst thing I've ever um, heard.
0: It could be any type of animal. Um, they do not need any training. And the only legal difference between pets and emotional support animals is that emotional support animals can live with you, even if your apartment or your home or wherever you live does not allow pets. Um, right. And you can also fly with your emotional support animal for free.
4: Not just fly, but but also you can you can take it a lot of places. I yes, on train. Right.
0: Well, actually, no. So the Fair Housing Act says that you and your emotional support animal can live in housing that might prohibit a pet. Um, and then the Air Carrier Access Act allows you to fly with your emotional support okay. animal. But actually, you can't take your emotional support animal into like a restaurant or a store or to work. Huh. Okay. Um. So that's where a lot of the confusion lies. Ian, have you have you ever like flown and seen like Unexpected animal on your flight that might have been an emotional. Sport I love animal. the
4: phrase "unexpected animal." I have, I have not, I have not seen this in person, mm-hmm. um, but I think at this point we've all kind of seen the, the videos. Yeah,
0: there are all these videos that go viral of like this is a
4: genre unto itself. At this
0: yeah, point. yeah. So there's. Daniel the Duck, the emotional support animal of Carla Fitzgerald, walking up and down the aisle um, in his Captain America diaper. And then there was Easter the turkey, who was like flying with his human to go scatter ashes. And so the the woman brought Easter the turkey on, on the plane with her to be like supportive during that right, time. Right, right. So you also, you'll, you'll hear more stories like this one.
1: My um, older brother told me he was on a flight and there was a woman with, an emotional support monkey on her lap i mean this sounds made up but he swears it happened and then the monkey gets anxious when it travels on planes so the monkey had an emotional support cat so the whole flight the monkey was sitting there petting the cat like compulsively
0: (laughs) and then the cat had an emotional support rabbit and then the the rabbit got anxious, and then the rabbit had an emotional support kangaroo.
4: Yeah, this is this <laughs> this feels like the 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 old woman who swallowed the fly. Yeah, yeah.
0: the woman speaking was Eva Kerman. Um, that was a story from her brother, but Eva does not have an emotional support monkey, but she does have an emotional support dog.
1: Come here, Boo Boo, Matilda. Uh, actually,
0: a very fashionable emotional support dog named Matilda, or Tilly for short.
1: So Tilly is wearing one of her spring dresses. Tilly is a little five and a half pound Yorkshire Terrier, so she's wearing this little teal and pink dress, a little pink bow, and a little rhinestone.
0: Does she? Does she mind the clothes? No,
1: <laughs> she doesn't. This is her Easter outfit, even though we're Jewish. <laughs> This is her Christmas outfit, even though we're Jewish. (laughs) Jewish, like, we don't get any, like, cute costumes. This, like, peachy color, she looks really good in, so...
0: Eva is a student in an accelerated nursing program at NYU. So Eva has generalized anxiety disorder. She also has panic disorder. And Tilly really helps her with both of those things, which I was curious about. And so I went to visit her in her apartment in Lower Manhattan... Um, And I started our conversation by asking her to tell me about her anxiety.
1: I was way more anxious than all my friends. I remember as a kid, I would sometimes get these, I I don't even know what I, I I think they were panic attacks because they manifested the same way as my panic attacks in college were like, but I used to just some nights I would find myself like (laughs) thinking about like nothing and everything at the same time like as a kid like you know 10 year old i'd be like getting ready for bed whatever and all of a sudden find myself like hyperventilating crying like there was no trigger and i just remember i would like get my family dog to come like to my room and just try to fall asleep and then once i got to college that's when i started seeing a psychiatrist so i basically have generalized anxiety disorder and also panic attacks. And the panic attacks were what really got in the way of my day-to-day life. Can you can you
0: describe for people, like, what a panic attack is like? Because I, I think, like, people use it sort of colloquially. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I'm so stressed. Oh, my God, I'm having a panic attack. But I think it's a little bit different than, than maybe uh, what people, like, see in pop culture or whatever.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it definitely depends on the person also. Like, what I describe might not be what someone else's panic attacks are but for me my panic attacks were really just like for no they always started for no reason which was the big thing that was always like made them worse to me and they usually occurred in evenings when i was like alone they were usually consisted of like me like crying and hyperventilating and really not being able to like do anything and then they usually only lasted like 15 minutes But then, as soon as it's over, it's like all the energy has been sucked out of me. And so, it like, you know, if it occurred at 8 p.m. and I'm in college, one might say I could have had the whole night to do my homework, but it's like you don't have the energy. And also, like when I felt one coming on and I started getting teary, my psychiatrist wanted me taking a medicine that would prevent the panic attack, but that also just would knock me out. So, Klonopin? Yeah. (laughs) Like they're short episodes but it takes the whole rest of your evening. And when I would have one during the day, like that messes it up even more because then it's like I want to take a nap, but even when I wake up from the nap I can't function. So if I had one on a Saturday morning, I couldn't do homework on the Saturday.
0: Um so like how regularly were you having them?
1: I think probably when I was like the worst like three to four times a week.
0: So Eva was having these panic attacks regularly, and she spoke to her psychiatrist and together they talked about the possibility of Eva getting an emotional support animal. Um, her parents' dog had been really helpful to her when she had panic attacks growing up, uh, but she was nervous about the responsibility of having a dog. and there was this other issue.
1: I'm also allergic to like everything cute. so like anything that sheds, like I totally could I would love to have a cat, but I'm allergic.
0: So before she got the dog, Tilly, she actually experimented with a different type of emotional support
1: animal. The snake was really sweet. Her name was Cleo. Well, we thought it was a boy. We named him Leo and then found out maybe it's a its girl, Cleo. To be honest, the snake did not provide as much therapeutic benefit as, like, a dog does, but she, Cleo did still help. Um, if I started getting anxious, I would take her out and just – Try to, like, focus all my attention on her. I could have lost her easily if I wasn't devoting all my attention to her. So when she was out, I had to be, like, on. So, like, so it would kind of distract myself from whatever was going on in my head that I could never really put words to. But it did help for the most part having a snake also created its own anxieties though i definitely found myself having nightmares about like snakes mostly about snakes getting out and then i would like wake up and like make sure she was still in her cage
4: this sounds like the worst emotional support animal (laughs) Like, let's just add different kinds of stress to distract you from the anxiety you're already having. So
0: Eva was telling me that actually the anxiety that she was having about the snake was mostly related to her roommates because she felt so bad that she had this emotional support snake that she had brought into their dorm. And she had to, like, have these frozen mice that she kept in the freezer to feed the snake. And so, like... (laughs) Her roommates had to deal with, like, a freezer with frozen mice. And then, like, you know, they were a little bit anxious about the snake getting out. And anyway, yeah, it was, a, it was a whole deal. So Eva thought a lot. And she found out that she could actually get a hypoallergenic dog from this organization called Carolina Poodle Rescue that she had begun volunteering for. So she says she donated the snake to a reptile rescue in Buffalo that does educational outreach for children. So happy ending for the snake. And she flew down to an adoption event in South Carolina, and that's where she met Tilly.
1: The first day I'm there, I was trying to help with an adoption, and this little weird Yorkie started following me around. I didn't even know Yorkies were hypoallergenic. All she wanted to do was sit on my lap and sleep, which was all I wanted, but came home with this little five-and-a-half-pound thing. Can you describe Tilly's personality? What is she like? She's pretty much like a grandma, which is kind of like what I am too. Um, we're definitely like homebodies. She she enjoys going on walks. She's just really tolerant. She loves to sleep.
0: So, can you give um, some examples of how she helps you on a day to day basis, and then like specifically during panic attacks?
1: Yeah. So, I I think one of the ways that she really helps me is providing much more structure in my life. Um, the days that my anxiety was the worst were a lot of like when i just had downtime which like a lot of college students are happy about and i was happy about i'd be like i have this whole afternoon with nothing to do i can watch tv i can hang out and then i'd end up having a panic attack for no reason i really do better with structure so having a dog provides me with that structure like i think one of the reasons i just don't get panic attacks much anymore is i'm never alone like Actually, the times I do get panic attacks now are usually if I'm traveling without her or something like that. I also had this idea that like like a lot of dogs, when you cry, like they'll come up to you. Um, so I totally had this idea that if I was having a panic attack, she was going to be so comforting. That's not the case. Tilly does not like when I cry. She runs away and hides like she, she's terrified of crying which at first I thought was, like, a terrible thing. I was like, she's not going to comfort me. But it also kind of makes me not cry because I don't want her to be scared. Like, she's my baby. I don't want to, like, make her run away. I want her to play with me. And so it kind of makes me calm down. Um, I don't know if that's the most, like, effective way that an emotional support animal can really help during panic attacks, but it works for us. When I, was get, when I get panic attacks and things like that, it's really, I can just let all my attention go to that and everything just gets sucked out of me. So if I am starting to feel like that I might get an anxiety, a panic attack, or if my anxiety is really bad one day, before it gets to the point where it's like uncontrollable, because in the, at that point, I can't distract myself. So before it gets there, I try to think, what could I do? Like if she had a bath yesterday, I'm not going to give her a bath, but... I can take her to the dog park and then I just get up and do it. I make myself give my attention to her. She just wants to be held, she wants to be snuggled, she wants love, she wants to play. Like that for me has been a way to really redirect my like anxiety and my feelings and get everything under control. How are you how are
0: you doing now in managing your anxiety and panic disorders? Um, and do you uh like what other tools do you have
1: besides Tilly? My anxiety is so much better. Tilly plays a big role in my treatment plan. I take Zoloft every day for, it's used for depression and anxiety. Um, for me, it's mostly the anxiety that it treats. I was never diagnosed with depression, um, but the two disorders come hand in hand. Like, But I think, I think it's a combination of the medication and having Tilly and just, I've learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about the priorities I need to make with my own life can you tell me about
0: the range of responses you've gotten from folks who know that you have a an an emotional
1: support animal there's been a rise of like articles about emotional support animals and kind of people noticing that people are abusing the system so that's when I've gotten some resistance um my building has a lot of dogs I was talking to a gentleman who I talked to quite a bit who lives in the building and has a dog and somehow it came up like, he just was like, well, like it drives me crazy that everyone's saying they have these emotional support animals and stuff. And I mean, I don't shy away. I've, I used to, but I don't anymore. And so I said, well, actually, Tilly is my emotional support animal. And I was like, well, I understand how you say that it annoys you because it does annoy me too. It makes people think that it's a joke when I say she's my emotional support animal. I'm not trying to abuse the system. I'm not trying to take her in places she's not allowed I mean, I've even had friends who like, who are, like I've met at the dog park or something who have dogs, and when they find out that I get to like fly for free with her, like they're like, "Oh, maybe I should get it approved." I think a fair amount of times people are just really they don't understand that it's a, like a legit thing, and that's where that's where the problem <laughs> lies.
0: So I want to address what Eva said about abusing the system. But first, I want to introduce another expert, Professor Hal Herzog. Um, I'll let him introduce himself.
2: Okay, I'm uh, Hal Herzog. I'm a professor emeritus at Western Carolina University in the psychology department. I have spent the last uh, 30 years or so uh, studying human-animal interactions, and I write and conduct research in that area, an area, by the way, which is called anthrozoology.
0: I I wonder what it says about me that, like, I'm much more familiar with the field of cryptozoology than anthrozoology. <laughs> well, to
4: be fair, the, and and not to slight Professor Herzog in any way, the field of anthrozoology is much less exciting than the field of cryptozoology. Bigfoots are
0: very, you know, very exciting. And
4: Bigfoots, just for starters, like Mongolian deathworms, are much more exciting than... They sound exciting. They're also terrifying. They also probably don't exist.
0: So, Hal is is an animal lover, but he's also a little skeptical about most forms of animal-assisted therapy. Um, He was not super convinced by Eva's emotional support snake, Cleo.
2: Snakes provide no emotional support. (laughs) So if there's any emotional support, it's because the person has sort of latched onto this thing as a uh, as an object of providing emotional support. She might as well have a, a security blanket with her. A snake provides as much emotional support as a security blanket.
0: So um, generally speaking, could you uh, tell me about some of the mental health benefits that humans can possibly experience from being around animals?
2: Sure. Some of the main uh, benefits, psychological benefits, mental health benefits, if you will, are that they're fun to hang out with, good animals are good pets are fun to hang out with, and they provide us with companionship. Um, there's also very good evidence that uh, interacting, for example, with a dog, and most of the research has really been done with dogs, can provide a short-term stress relief, uh, lower blood pressure, uh, decrease cortisol levels, which is an indicator of uh, physiological and psychological stress, and then uh, and then there's uh, plenty of studies which have shown that bringing animals into places like nursing homes and hospital settings uh, have a, a temporary increase in people's moods. Uh, there's also some studies that show uh, that people with pets have decreased loneliness, and uh, at least one study which shows increased self-esteem. So there's there's sort of a suite of of good things that happen for people that, uh, you know, have pets around or live or live with animals. The, the, the problem for me is that the quality of the research does not match the hype over the effectiveness of uh, both animal-assisted therapy and the effects of the, the, the positive health and mental health benefits of pet ownership. The number of studies on the use of animals in therapeutic context has really tripled in the last, uh, in the last decade. However, the studies still have the same problems and we don't just see these problems in animal assisted therapy studies. We also see them other areas of, of psychology and the, the problems with the researcher include things like insufficient uh, controls for novel experiences. So in other words, as one of my friends put it, you know, how important is the animal in animal assisted therapy? It might be that that dolphin therapy works simply cause you're, you're, with these really cool animals in a really good environment, that there's nothing magic about interacting with the animal. Uh, There's a problem, as true with a lot of studies uh, in other areas of psychology, with small sample sizes. The average uh, animal-assisted therapy study has about 25 subjects in it. Some of them have as few as two or three subjects in it. And what that means, if you actually do the statistics on it, is the chances of the results being uh, untrue... And studies that small are are surprisingly high. Uh, another problem is uh, we have reliance on self reports. So everybody wants to believe that animals are good for them, but v- relatively few of the studies actually uh, look at look at behavioral data, uh, look at performance on actual uh, valid psychological tests. And a lot of times these are based on you know you know you know do you feel like playing with the dog you know made you better? Well, yeah, most people say yeah, but is the evidence really there? And then there's a there's very few of these studies have long-term follow-up evaluation. So yeah, there's there, there's excellent evidence that uh, there's there's short-term effects with interacting with a dog or maybe even swimming with dolphins. However, the question is, what about six months later? You've paid that seven or ten thousand dollars to uh, take your uh, child with autism, you know, down to uh, you know to the island in the Caribbean, but you don't you don't want just a week long. You know, feel good experience. You want you want to, to know if it's in the long run they're gonna they're gonna get better. And there's very few studies of that. But by the way, there's virtually no decent studies on animal uh, emotional support animals. For example, being effective in terms of you know combating flight anxiety. There, there's there's no studies that have have really looked at that that are decent.
0: Another problem that Hal addressed with me was something that Eva brought up earlier the problem with people taking advantage of this system.
2: My wife and I happened to be on the boarding line, at the end of the boarding line, and the woman uh, right in front of me uh, tried to, first of all, she tried to smuggle her dog on the plane without the gate attendant knowing it. And uh, the, gate, the gate attendant caught it and said, is that a dog in your purse? <laughs> and it turned out she did have a dog in her purse. And when she was caught, she whipped out this, uh, was not a letter. Uh, because she 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 whipped out this uh, identification card, and I was close enough. I was right behind her. I could see that it was a, a fake identification card you can buy online. I immediately spotted it because I I followed some of these uh, some of these outfits, and that's why I knew it was a fake. It was one of these things you can buy for, you know, thirty bucks on uh, on Amazon. And at which point, uh, the gate attendant said, um, hmm, I didn't think there was any emotional support animals on this plane. And she looked, and sure enough, the woman's name was not on the list. And uh, she said, show me your letter from the uh, your licensed mental health professional. And she said, oh, I don't have a letter, but the guy you know, in San Francisco where I got on the plane, he said I wouldn't have any trouble. At which point, I just totally perked up and was just like, okay, man, this is what I studied. I'm going to see this plane in real life. And they had this to and fro, and the line's getting longer, and the plane going to take off. And at one point, the gate attendant finally said, all right, I'm going to let you on the plane this time, but don't ever do this again. And then the good thing was that I saw the woman get off the plane with the dog, and uh, I was I was right next to her when she uh, when she picked up her bag at the baggage claim. And her friend came to meet her, and she didn't even mention that she was threatened by the gate attendant. And so I had the feeling that this woman does this all the time. This is a regular part of her travel.
4: Well, and you know what? Especially the fact that, that she tried to smuggle it onto the like <laughs> that that she wasn't like upfront about this.
0: But she had but her you know, her little tag. when that's... she
4: got called on it, her initial reaction was just like, I'm just gonna put my dog in my bag. Uh-huh.
0: So basically, it seems like there are a few problems with the system. People saying that their animals are emotional support animals when they are actually just pets, and then trying to take advantage of the benefits of being able to live with your animal or take your animal on the plane. And then emotional support animals haven't really been like a thing for that long. And, and people aren't very clear
4: on the rules. Well, and the, and the thing is, there's a lot of issues sort of on the, on the other hand here. We have laws in place to protect people who can fly with their emotional support animals, even valid emotional support animals are going to cause some issues for other people on that flight who might be allergic, who might be themselves scared of dogs, who might have just paid several hundred dollars for an uncomfortable seat on a six-hour flight and don't want to sit next to a friggin' dog. Or iguana. Yeah, yeah. like, (laughs) and even as someone who, like loves dogs. Like, I totally get that, man. Like, and, and, you know, that's all, that's all assuming that this, that these animals are above Legitimate, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I, I actually spoke with someone who did game the system, uh, with a unique animal named Ducky, who is not a duck.
3: Ducky was probably about 80 pounds. Um, as I stand, maybe came up, uh, not quite to my hips, but maybe kind of midway up my thighs couple of horns and, uh, you know, soft furry and a, I guess you'd call it an adult goat, young adult goat.
0: This is Brian Polson. He's an investigative reporter for Fox 6 News in Milwaukee. So he was working with Ducky as part of a piece he was researching about emotional support animals.
3: This didn't start as a story I intended to work on. It came in as a news tip. And it started with a complaint we got from a woman uh, named Carla Fitzgerald, who's featured in the piece. And she had written the newsroom complaining that she was not being allowed to move into an apartment with her emotional support duck. I've been doing this a long time. You just recognize when you have a character. When you hear the woman who wants to live with her duck is not being allowed to live with her duck and is going to the city to fight it, you know that's a story. Started researching the issue further. I found that the concerns about the abuse of emotional support animals or the the privilege was uh was a concern and I interviewed Carla and during our interview she also mentioned that you know she has a real problem with people who game the system and I said that's what we need to do we need to go try that and show just how easily people can sort of abuse this privilege but we we didn't want to just get an emotional support animal letter for a dog or a cat or something conventional because since the concept here was let's kind of take this to the point of absurdity let's exaggerate the point a little bit and see just how ridiculous we can be um we actually had a meeting and my boss first suggested well brian maybe you should work with the milwaukee county zoo and see if they could get you some pictures together with a giraffe and we could try getting a letter for your emotional support giraffe and obviously that would be absurd the problem is it wasn't practical because you can't take the giraffe around town and i said i really want to take if i get this letter i want to take my animal out on the town And then I had stumbled across something where someone had uh, their own baby goat as a pet. And I thought, a goat. That's it. Let's get a goat. Came across this one guy. His name is Brendan Kite. Got a small goat farm in Franksville, Wisconsin. And when I pitched him the idea, you could tell right away he loved it. He thought it was outstanding. And he said, yeah, I'm in. Let's do this.
0: So can you take me through the process of getting a letter yourself?
3: Well, it started, first of all, just to, I, to find out where to go for this. It started with a simple Google search. I Googled emotional support animal letter or a, emotional support animal prescription and found a number of websites that offer this kind of thing. The one we ended up using is one called the Dogtor, D-O-G-T-O-R, like the doctor with a dog. I, I fill out a form, and then they take you through an online questionnaire. And it asks you questions about, um, your history in terms of you know have you had uh any anxiety issues depression, and then some of it, it it seemed like maybe some typical sort of clinical type questionnaire uh question things like um you know in the last seven days or last two weeks, you know how many days would you say you've been depressed how many days would you say you know have you uh, have you had trouble sleeping have you there are all sorts of questions that I think might be typical introductory questions before you actually maybe begin therapy with someone. Um, but I finished the questionnaire, and then it did ask, do you already have an emotional support pet or animal? What kind of animal is it? And, of course, I indicated mine was a goat. Um, and then when I finished the questionnaire, they said, you know, here's where you go to pay your money. And I put $159 on my credit card. And then a few days later, they emailed me a PDF with the, uh, with the approval from a therapist I had never met before, but it said that, uh, that Carla Black, uh, or Carla Black's letter, that was the name of the therapist who had, uh, had written me the prescription, had never spoken to, but she had diagnosed me with an emotional condition that required, uh, required a, an emotional support goat.
0: Did you ever try to reach out to Carla Black to, to see if this was a common occurrence for her, if she usually uh, prescribed animals to patients who she hadn't spoken with?
3: I did. And in fact, you know, because she was going to be identified in our story, I wanted her to know she was being identified and I wanted to find out um, if this was common practice to prescribe emotional support animals or to diagnose someone, regardless of the therapy that's being applied, to diagnose someone with a condition without ever having spoken to them, without ever having met them. And her response was that while she usually will at least have a session uh, or two, with someone before she would even consider making a diagnosis, that in my case, she said, the questionnaire answers were so thorough that she felt it wasn't necessary to have a session, but that she was still open to having sessions with me if I felt I needed them.
4: I feel like I need to, Carla Black was the, the gal, was not the gal with the support deck. No. Okay, no. okay, sorry, I got a little confused there.
0: Yeah, no, that's Carla Fitzgerald. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, no, uh, Carla Black is the, the woman who is connected with this, website, The Dog um, Right. A, a, a therapist connected with this what, website. What yeah.
4: certainly what certainly feels like from this story, a questionable way to sort of provide a diagnosis or a prescription.
0: Yes. Yeah. So he fills out this questionnaire. He pays the money. Um, he gets this letter. Um, and then he basically decides to do a stunt to prove a point.
3: I grabbed the, the leash and we started walking. and Ducky just followed along. You know, A couple of times along the way, Ducky was a little hesitant to go into buildings, unsure. The Milwaukee Art Museum is a really iconic place, which is one of the places we went. And it's an intimidating structure, I think, probably for a farm animal. But ultimately, she came inside, and once she was inside, realized, okay, this place is all right. Well, And one of the reasons we picked the Art Museum was, number one, it's a place everyone could immediately identify with. It's an iconic uh, uh, building in Milwaukee. And it's also got this sort of class and character to it that you don't expect something like a farm animal coming inside. So I expected we'd meet resistance right away. When we walked in the door, certainly heads turned, and there was a security person on the way in who just asked and politely said, can I ask why you're bringing that animal in here? We don't allow animals in. And I explained, well, this is an emotional support animal. I, you know, I have a letter from my doctor, and he said, okay, well, hang on a minute. Meanwhile, people who were waiting to get in the museum are coming over to pet Ducky and ask questions. And everyone was very nice and supportive. And finally, this administrator or, or whoever it was I was dealing with, manager, came over and said, okay, you're good to go. And we, we went in and made a couple of rounds through the art museum. And uh, we even had a moment where, uh, you know, this is a wild animal. They go where they want to go. And sure enough, we got to the second floor. Ducky uh, shot out some pellets because that's the way goat poop looks. And uh, next thing you know, I realized we've got a mess to clean up, and there's the farmer right behind me scooping it up and a guy on a walkie-talkie calling down saying, we have a cleanup on the Brook Stevens display. From there, we we, we just hit a, a variety of spots. We went to the movie theater. We got in to see a movie. Um, we went to Starbucks and grabbed some coffee. We went to a public market, uh, the Milwaukee Public Market, where they you know have all kinds of shops and they serve lunch. Um, And we went to uh, a clothing store. And of all of those places we went, we got in everywhere.
4: Can can I just jump in here? Yeah. Because I got to say, as someone who has worked in food service for, for quite a lot and who has had, like, you know, numerous food handler's cards, the idea of... Of a goat at a place where they're serving food is so gross and so not okay to me.
0: Yeah, he said that's the one place where he met some resistance. Is they came over to him when I he was in the Milwaukee so, Public Market. They asked to you know see the papers, and then after he showed him the the letter, the guy said, uh, "Well, okay, as long as you're not eating here." And so he was allowed to hang out in the market, but they couldn't eat.
4: God bless you, Milwaukee Public Market guy. You're doing you're doing the Lord's work out there. Um,
0: Brian also wanted to make sure to emphasize that he wasn't making fun of people who truly benefit from emotional support animals. Um, he, he kept telling me that he was trying to make a point about how easy it is to take advantage of the system and the confusion behind the system. Um, so I did ask him why he thought that more people didn't push back when he took Ducky into some of these places that legally Ducky actually couldn't go into as an emotional support animal.
3: Having an emotional support animal prescription from a a healthcare professional doesn't mean you can take it to the movies. It doesn't mean that you can go to into a restaurant or the public market or the museum, but most people don't know that. And I think there's a great fear of being sort of the place that's accused of discrimination or the place that's accused of not being accommodating. And so you present that letter to any of these places and they're going to want to err on the side of being accommodating and being understanding They don't want to be the bad guys, and I think that's where it opens this up to abuse because you're really putting that place, the museum or the movie theater or the restaurant on the defensive. They've got to make a call. Number one, do they even know that they don't have to say yes, and two, do they want to risk saying no if in fact they're wrong and then they look like the place that's not accommodating
0: so is there anything else that you learned while, you know, working on this piece that either surprised you or you thought was, you know, funny or, you know, caused you to to reflect?
3: I think I was just mostly surprised at it at, at how readily people accepted a wild animal in places you'd never dream of maybe even taking your kids if they were, you know, having a bad day. Um people put a lot of faith in prescribers if someone tells them either you have an official document that says yeah, this is your emotional support animal, they'll sort of let you do some things that are pretty absurd. On the one hand, it was reassuring that there's a lot of understanding of people who have special needs. And even if those needs might seem absurd and uncomfortable to the rest of us, there seemed to be a lot of acceptance, at least here in Milwaukee. Um, So I was surprised by that. Um, But I was also surprised at just how easy it was to get this. I I think when, when I receive a letter... Uh, saying that I've been prescribed something, I've been diagnosed with a condition for simply filling out a questionnaire. Um, that's shocking, and it it, it it seems wrong. Carla Black was very defensive. She referred to it as online therapy. I don't feel like I got any therapy. Um, I didn't get. I, I didn't get. There was there was no one asking me questions. There was no one guiding me. No one, uh, you know, giving me any kind of guidance. Certainly, she said she was available for therapy if I wanted it, but I never got it. And yet I got a diagnosis and a prescription that feels wrong. And, and I think it, it sort of speaks to the notion that this was really just a cash for paper uh, kind of system for people who want to maybe live where they otherwise can't have pets or fly um, without having to pay.
4: What, uh, what Brian there is talking about is one of the things that really stuck out to me um, when, when Hal was talking about the, the gal at the, at the airport the the people who are taking advantage of this situation are not even really like like challenging a a a, a corporate rule they don't believe in mostly they're just simply like bullying retail and service workers they they are they're take cuz cuz what did that woman in line with her dog in her bag do she basically got to the door of the airplane and, and in at that point it's I dare you to not let me on this plane yeah I, and...
0: I think people are nervous about like asking someone if they're saying they have some sort of disability, like challenging them on that because what if they freaking sue you, you know, turn around or they're pissed, you know, like it's, it seems dangerous. It seems like as, you know, someone in the service industry or whatever, it's just easier to err on the side of, okay, like, I guess you can take your goat in here. Like,
4: you know, like people working those jobs are having shitty enough days as a rule. Like they don't need you pretending that you have, you know, something you're not diagnosed with so that your your dog can fly on your lap.
0: It does also, like, make me wonder what other sort of crazy shit you can get away with with a doctor's note. Right? Like, if you pay a few hundred dollars online to say that, like, Ian is my emotional support human and Ian needs to come with me. Can we get you into places? If I'm only buying my, a ticket for myself, he's a, he's my emotional support human. I he'll stand. He'll stand a, at the back of the
4: concert. <laughs> I just need him there. It's a very interesting question that we're definitely not going to get the answer to. For, for people who might find themselves in in a situation where they where they you know someone is trying to to bring a dog on a plane, if, if maybe they're a flight attendant are, are there things that you are allowed to ask? Yes. Are there, there sort of, you know, what, what are the rules here?
0: So, uh, if somebody is bringing their emotional support animal into a space where you are working, um, you can ask them two questions. What worker task is this animal trained to do? Um, so that's a good way to find out if it's a service animal. Um, because then, you know, they will say, oh, my, my dog is trained to like help me pick things up or my, my dog is trained to do, to do this. Um, the other question they can ask is, is this animal required because of a disability, which will also let you know, you know, if it's a service animal or not, you can't ask what is your disability? You can't ask, um, probing invasive questions, but you, you can ask those two things. Um, and just know that if it's not a dog or, or a miniature horse, um, it's not a service animal and, uh, people can't bring their snake or their llama or their iguana into your restaurant or store.
4: I understand that like, look, these, these laws are laws for a reason. And we all have to be in situations where we're less comfortable so another person can be more comfortable. It's, that's the, the the very basics of the social contract. I don't think we, we're calling that in into question. The other end of that is if you take advantage of that situation existing so that you can have a convenience for yourself, you're just a fucking garbage monster.
0: Um, okay, so I won't go ahead with my plan to, <laughs> to, to register, like, my emotional support human. So um, I also, I wanted to leave people with some final words from a couple of our guests. So first, let's do Hal Herzog, the anthrozoologist.
2: Uh, I was talking to a journalist one time, and uh, she was interviewing me, and I was asking her about uh, her, her And It turns out she had recently moved to Manhattan and was lonely. She didn't know anybody there. And she had read that, that pets were good for people's mental health and they make people less depressed and they make, less, make them less lonely. And so what she did was she went and she got herself a Weimaraner her puppy. Well, it turned out that she didn't, she never really bonded with the dog. And on the other hand, she didn't want to get rid of the dog because she felt guilty about it. And so here she was. She was stuck with this animal that she didn't particularly like, that she had to take out three times a day and go for a walk so it could go, you know, poop on the sidewalk. And then she could, you know, pick it up with the, with a baggie. And, and you know, in her case, it simply didn't work. And so so I just, I, you know, I, I, I think there are, you know, I'm a pet owner, I'm a pet lover, always been. But they're not for everybody and I think a lot of that people need to be a little more uh, critical about the uh, things that they hear about uh, the the healing the healing power of, of animals. They work for some people but not others
0: um, so I asked Eva what should people consider if they're thinking about getting an emotional support animal um, and her number one piece of advice was to talk to a licensed mental health professional and not just like someone wants over the phone uh, through a website or something like that.
4: (laughs) Um. Right. The the only decision you should make with one conversation, like over a phone or a website, is like what topping you want on your pizza. Like, if it's more complicated than what am I getting off of Seamless, you need to have more of a relationship than like ticking boxes on an internet questionnaire.
0: Eva also had one other strong point um, that I wanted to play.
1: Make sure it's like, gonna be a good thing for you and the animal um it's easy to think like oh my god i want a dog but if you can't devote the time to the dog maybe look into a cat look into a hamster i know someone with an emotional support hamster it's not going to help your anxiety or depression if you get an animal you can't take care of because the animal's not going to be happy and you're not going to be happy So
0: I I think right now in my 6th floor walk up I'm going to I'm going to wait to get the dog. I I want to get I I do really want one but I think I'm going to wait until the like the dog can be a little bit happier, I think and, and have a nicer space.
4: Could you could you find a place where like you could just pet dogs regularly? I
0: was thinking about volunt yeah, doing some sort of volunteering um I I or, were- I will put in
4: a a plug right now for the Brooklyn Bridge Animal Welfare Coalition, which is where we got Bowie, Um, and we got Bowie at uh, a cat cafe, Um, and they do take volunteers, so if anyone's in Brooklyn or New York or surrounding areas, and you want to be in a place where you can hang out with cats sometimes, and help cats find good homes, that might be an option for you. Subscribe to our podcast
0: on iTunes. Please leave us a review so that the other podcasts don't think we're lame and make fun of us. Also, if you're subscribed, you will be able to immediately listen to the next episode when we post it on May 15th. Uh, You can also listen at grouppodcast.com. Thanks today to Faith Rusk uh, and to my brother, Andy Douglas, for helping us out for No Monies. Uh, Thanks also to Katie Herzog for her help. And congratulations to Eva's emotional support animal, Tilly, who just became a therapy dog with pet partners.
4: Congratulations, Tilly. And speaking of Tilly, I think this was a a surprisingly visual podcast for the audio medium that it is this episode. And if you guys do go to group podcasts like Rebecca mentioned, uh, we will be posting in the show notes there. We'll have some photos probably of Tilly. We will have some of the videos of uh, support animals on planes, uh, we we might uh, might post a, a little clip of uh, Brian Paulson and Ducky there, uh, so you'll be able to sort of get a feel for for what this looks like and, and get a little bit of value add if you visit the website.
0: So we'll talk to you again in a month, but in the meantime, be kind to yourself, do what you got to do. Maybe that's therapy, maybe that's sunshine, maybe that's hanging out with a really chill
4: snake. Have you ever met a snake that's not chill? All the snakes I've met are chill. A really anxious snake. That's, that's like, the, 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 I think that's, like, their overriding sort of vibe of snakes. I feel snakes. like I could
0: write a children's book about, like, the anxious
4: snake. I don't know if that would make a good children's book, because it sounds terrifying. My like name a snake is
0: Henry, and I'm so nervous.
4: Like, a snake that's all, like, amped up and wired? It sounds horrible. Or just, like, scared.
0: Just, like, needs to hide.
2: <laughs>